So here's the thing. We're in week two of a series called Messy Church. And uh, I hate to break it to you, but this is a messy church. Look around you, and you're going to find someone within your viewpoint that's a mess. In fact, I'll just say it right now. My name is Ken, and, uh, you know, in and of myself, in and of myself, I'm broken and helpless and powerless, and it is only through Jesus Christ that this mess looks anything less than a mess, you know, like... And here's the thing, we're, we're, a messy, we're a messy people. I often joke around, and it's somewhat almost true, that half of our congregation has been in jail, and the other half probably should have been. And uh, so if you've been looking for the perfect church, you know, every time someone comes and they're a guest, and you're like, oh, this is like the greatest church. And I'm like, oh, well, hate to break it to you. <laughs> Just keep coming. You'll find out real quickly. We're, we're a messy church, but, but what we've been doing over, uh, we started last week looking at the book of Acts. And so I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. And we're looking through the book of Acts. If you've never heard of the book of Acts before, this is the actions of the first followers of Jesus. And so literally in the first chapter of Acts, in Acts chapter 1 verse 9, Jesus ascends to the Father and the whole rest of the book is just the actions of this first generation of Jesus followers. It's really the first 30 years of the church. And what we're trying to do is we're reading through, and I'd invite you, if you've never read through the book of Acts, or if it's been a while, man, dive into it again. And just read a couple paragraphs every day, and it won't take you long at all to get through it. And, and what you're going to find is a record, of all kinds of case studies of these first followers of Jesus and how they responded to the promptings and to the whispers of the Holy Spirit. And, and here's, here's kind of our hypothesis, is that what if God wants to do the same thing in our generation? What if it's true, this theological truth that we hear in Orthodox Christianity, that God really is immutable? That's a great big theological word, which means God doesn't change. He can't get any better because he's already the best. And he can't decrease. God isn't, God isn't subject to the law of entropy. He isn't like, oh man, these last 10,000 years have really worn me down a bit. Like, No, God is the same. Same strength, same power, same love, same compassion, same justice. Like he is the same today as he was 2,000 years ago. And so when we read through the book of Acts, I dare you to read it just going, man, what if God wanted to do that same stuff today? Like, and here's the crazy thing. What if he wanted to do through Peter and through Philip and through Stephen and through Paul? What if he wanted to do that stuff through you? You say, well, Ken, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like Pastor Aaron, who is definitely holy. Like, <laughs> why do we laugh so sarcastically at that? Like, like, like I, here's the thing. These first followers of Jesus, they were knuckleheads. They were ordinary, uh, Acts chapter 4 says that they were unschooled, uneducated. These were just common folks, y'all. But the difference is they had been around Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. They were living their lives in Christ. They had been saturated and soaked in the Holy Spirit. And so what we looked at last week in Acts chapter 1 and 2, basically the bottom line is we, we, the main idea is that harvest is always messy. I don't know, we got lots of farmers in our church or even part-time farmers, and I've talked to many of them. Not one of them had told me, no, harvest is neat and organized, and I always know exactly when it's going to happen, and I can schedule it three months in advance. And No, 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 harvest, harvest is on its own timetable, and it's messy, and it's chaotic, 
But that's part of harvest. If you want, if you want a church where everything is just neatly organized and it's all, you, you always know what's going to happen and it's organized and it always ends right on time and they never ask you for money and all that kind of stuff, you're probably not going to be in a church where harvest is happening. And we want to be a messy church because we want the harvest, right? So here's what happens is, is in Acts chapter 2, uh, these followers of Jesus who had already received the Holy Spirit. Back in John chapter 20, the night of Jesus' resurrection, he shows up to his disciples. He says, peace be with you. He has to say it twice because their jaws are on the ground. And he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. He breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I say this all the time, but if you've never heard it before, if Jesus says receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the Holy Spirit. Right? So they had received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in them. The Holy Spirit was with them. If you are a follower of Jesus, I don't care what you were taught in your church growing up. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've received the grace of God and the forgiveness of Jesus, you have received the Holy Spirit. He is resident in you. He is with you. But something happens about 40 days later, 50 days later actually, where Jesus had told them right before he ascended, he says, wait for the gift my Father has for you, just like John baptized people in water. Let me ask you this question. When Riley and when Cohen came up out of the water, like what was different about them than before they sat down in the water? They're like dripping wet, and their loved ones are hugging them, and you see some of them are like, you know, hugging them like, oh. And then other ones are like, you know, hugging them like, and, and what happened to the people who are hugging them? Now they're wet. They're impacted, right? They're dripping. Look at the, anybody's in the front row, just look at the floor. Like you can see their footprints, like all the way back there, right? They're, they're soaked. They're saturated. They're dunked. They're drenched in the water. This is what happened 50 days after these disciples had received the Holy Spirit. Now they are dunked and drenched and saturated and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And what we're going to see today is how it began to make a difference. Because I don't know about you, I rub shoulders every day. Not only am I messy, but the people around me are messy. The people where you work are messy. The people in your middle school, they're messy. And sometimes the messiness is just so pronounced that I don't know about you, there's moments where I just get paralyzed. I'm like, what do I do about this? How could, I don't, I don't have, what difference could I possibly make? Have you ever wondered that? Like when I look at their mess, that is a mess. How could I ever do anything about that? Follower of Jesus, it is through the Holy Spirit that you can do something about that. We're going to actually move this whole thing up here. Give me just a second. Yeah, that's how weak I am. No, that's how heavy this is. That's how heavy. <laughs> really heavy. Super heavy. So we start with the Holy, the Holy Spirit when, when you've received the grace of Jesus, you've received his forgiveness, we begin to build our life. The Holy Spirit is in us, and he is with us, and he wants to do immeasurably more than we can imagine, right? So, so let's look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1, and let's look at a case study of a couple of Jesus' followers who found themselves in a messy situation where they, in and of themselves, didn't have the resources, and they're trying to figure out how can we make a difference, right? So let's start in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And the first thing that I want to talk about today is the messiness of sight. Sight is messy. 
Here's the thing. This man you'll find out at the very end of chapter 4. This crippled man had been crippled for 40 years. For 40 years, he's been taken, well, maybe not when he was an infant, but at some point along the way, maybe in adolescence, he had some loved ones who started carrying him to the temple gates because he couldn't work. And in that culture, if you're crippled, man, you're... A lot of crippled people would just be left to die. He had some people who really loved him that they actually kept him around. But his only livelihood is getting money from other people, right? So for 40 years, essentially, he's been begging for money. Here's my question. Peter and John, this ain't their first rodeo. It's not their first time going to the temple for prayer. Prayer would happen twice a day. You'd go in the morning and you'd go in the afternoon every day. Like work would stop. Everything would stop and you'd go to the temple and you would pray if you were a man. It was that kind of culture, ladies, so sorry. And so, it was, it was, and so I wonder, and, and we don't know for sure, how many times had Peter and John walked by this guy? But now they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And something different happens when they see this crippled man, this 40-year-old crippled man sitting there. Like Peter and John are walking through, and they're now in the ministry, so they don't have any money, right? <laughs> and they see this man that they've seen hundreds of times before, but now they see him. And this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you and through you. He wants to give you sight to see things that you've never seen before. But can I tell you, this is messy sight. And you say, why are you, why are you saying it's messy? Have you ever seen something that you wish you didn't see? <laughs> you know, you've been at work and someone's at, you know, you're on break and someone's at another table and they start talking. You're like, oh, I'm just walking away from that conversation. I don't even want to hear. That is messy. Like, I don't want, like, I, you're just kind of ignoring it, just trying to mind your own business, hoping that you don't get sucked into it, right? At school, middle school students, high school students, those of you at Terra, have you had a situation where you're like, I, I don't want to see that. I don't want to know about that. I'd rather just keep my nose in my phone, right? Because it's messy. And what are they going to do about it? This guy's been crippled for 40 years. What could they possibly do about it? It leads us to the next area of messiness, which is the messiness of faith. Because something wells up inside of Peter. Look at what he says. He says, Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. And then he says something so interesting. It says, the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. This is, this is how everything's gone down for 40 years. If someone said, look at me, he'd be like, oh, here we go. I'm Payday. This guy's about to give me some money. But this is it's not what happens. Verse 6, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. He goes, I don't have any cash on me, bro. Have you ever been in that situation? Someone needs something, you're like, oh, I don't have any cash. I never have cash on me. I feel so awkward at times, you know? Like, I don't have anything to give you, man. Like, Peter and John, I don't have any silver or gold for you. And then he does this, and this is where faith comes in. He says, but I'll give you what I have. What does he have? It took faith to look straight at this crippled man, knowing that he didn't have a plan B, knowing that he didn't have any cash in his pocket, knowing that not only is a crippled man watching, but now John is probably staring at him like, what are you about to do, Peter? Maybe some in the crowd are starting to look around. And what, you know, really complicates this and why this faith is really messy is back in Matthew chapter 17. You remember there was an account where Jesus' disciples were asked by the dad of this kid. This kid was just in a horrible situation. His dad came up, and his dad was so emotional. He's like, hey, can you guys heal my son? And the disciples, like, tried to heal his son. And Matthew 17 says they couldn't heal him. Jesus steps in. Jesus heals him, just so you know the, the end of that story. But I wonder, you know, the enemy isn't, he isn't any different today than he was 2,000 years ago. 
I wonder how many times like Peter would see a situation and the enemy would be like, remember when you tried to pray for that kid's son? Didn't go too well, right? Can I tell you, he lies to me the same way. There have been, there have been situations where, man, faith welled up inside of me and I prayed for them and nothing that I could see happened. Things got worse. They died. And you know what? There's always a temptation when you pray for somebody and you don't physically see anything happen. Do you know what the temptation is? Next time I'm just going to take a giant step back. I tried praying once. It didn't work. I don't know. And I'm just wondering if what God is waiting for is some people who say, you know what? It didn't work last time. I'm going to keep stepping forward. I'm going to keep believing. There's a guy, I don't know how many of you guys have heard of John Wimber. He's a great hero of the faith. He's passed away a number of years ago. But he started a movement of churches called the Vineyard Church and a powerful, powerful uh, uh, ministry. And uh, back before there was even the the movement of the Vineyard Church, he pastored a church in California. And uh, God put in his heart that they would start praying for sick people after every service. And so we got a prayer team together. And and they, man, they were filled with faith. And and they they talked about how they were going to pray for people. And, And he said, man, God... I mean, he just had faith. He goes, I know that as soon as I lay my hands on somebody, like, they're going to be healed. Like, he had such faith. In the first week, they come up, and he tells the church, hey, we got people up here. We want to pray for you if you're sick. Come on forward. And he says they prayed, and they're all faith-filled. And he said nothing happened. And he's like, God, what, what was that all about? And he felt the Holy Spirit. None of this was out loud. Some of you are like, man, these people have these out loud conversations with God. It was all like this, like, like as he was praying, like these, the only thing I can call it is a hunch. And he, and he said, like, He said he felt God say, do it again this Sunday. So they do it again. He said, if if I've got the the facts right, that it was over 30 Sundays that they would do this every Sunday. That if people come up and pray, they didn't know of anything happened. No one called up the church that week and said, hey, I was healed or I experienced a miracle. For 30 some weeks they do this. And one Sunday, I can't remember the exact, he'll tell you like the exact number of that it was, but one Sunday... Like, God, like, healed not just one person, but a number of people. And John Wimber talks about, like, this this tension of, I pray, nothing happens, I want to take a step back. But he says, what would happen if we just kept taking steps forward? Like, the enemy's a liar, I'm just going to keep trying to take back what the enemy has stolen. I'm just going to keep believing. Number one, I'm not the healer. Nobody in this room is a healer. There's only one healer, and his name is Jesus. But Jesus will work through knuckleheads like me and like you, and we can be the agents of his healing to the people around us. Sometimes you step out to pray and nothing happens. You ask God to heal somebody, and it doesn't, and and it's so easy to lose hope. Let's talk about what follows, though, is so he, he has this messy faith. What happens is the messiness of the Holy Spirit's power. You say, well, how is the Holy Spirit's power messy? We're, we're about to see how it's messy. So he doesn't have any money. He says, I'll give you what I have. The end of verse 6, he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk. And it says, then a light shone from heaven and a chorus of angels began humming and the man's tissues and tendons all began coming back together and he leaped to his feet and he said, I'm healed. Is that what it says? No, this is, this is the messiness of the Holy Spirit's power. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Look at verse 7. This is very interesting. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And here's the phrase that just gets me. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. 
I don't like that. Right? I, I guess part of it is I'm a control freak. Like, I want to, okay, I'm stepping out in faith. I say this in the name of Jesus, the Nazarene. Get up and walk. And, you know, the guy gets up. And, but in that moment, he had to reach out his right hand and help the guy up. And as he's helping the guy up, the healing happens. I hate to break it to you. This is messy. Because I want to be able to tell God, God, it sure would be nuts. Have you ever counseled God? <laughs> Romans 11, beginning with verse 33, tells us that's not a good idea. But we do it anyhow, right? Like, God, it would be really great if, you know, like the crescendo of I pray this and then you do this. And then, like, how awesome would it be? And sometimes you're like, ah. And then the, the hunch, the nudge of the Holy Spirit is help the guy up. What if I help the guy up and nothing happens because I just prayed a really powerful, faith-filled prayer and nothing happened? Like, no, help the guy up. And then, and then the power happens, right? See, when the Holy Spirit fills you with faith to step into the uncomfortable place, the power may not be immediately present. The power often will not come until after you take the step of faith. And then he brings his power, and then he brings his provision, and then he brings his help. So we have the messiness of sight, seeing things that sometimes we don't want to see, we just want to kind of ignore. The messiness of faith of, man, I prayed before, nothing ever happened, what if nothing happens again? The, the messiness of pa- the Holy Spirit's power, like, like uh, how is this going to work? I, I'd like to know exactly how it's going to work. Can you give me a timeline? Can you map it out for me? And this leads to, you know, so the, the guy, let's keep reading there. It says, um, all the people, or verse 8, he jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. And all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. And when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. And they all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade, where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. And the story could be over. But this almost always leads to the messiness of speaking. How many of you love to speak in front of a crowd of people? Like a crowd of at least a couple hundred. You know, any, anybody? Yeah, Kathy would. Anybody else? Like, they tell us that this is one of the number one fears that people have of speaking in front of people. Can I tell you, Peter was just an ordinary, he's, he's a fisherman. He's unschooled. Literally, like a month or two before this, He's out in the courtyard when Jesus, you know, he's under arrest. And a servant girl asked Peter, like, hey, are you one of those, like, Jesus followers? And Peter's like, no way, man. I don't know anything about that Nazarene, right? No, seriously, like, your accent, like, you, you sound just like one of Jesus' followers. No, I don't know. And here he is, like, months later, and now you have this incredible Holy Spirit power that's been ministered through him. And he has an opportunity, like, he could, like, this could be the end of the story, But now he's got to embrace the messiness of speaking. See, when God reveals his power through you, and I pray that he does for every follower of Jesus in this room, he does it for one reason and for one reason alone, to bring glory to Jesus. You know that, right? Like some churches, I think we think that the end-all, be-all is that we have emotions and that I got the power, you know, like, like we feel this like surge and like all this energy and that that's like the end of it. That's just the beginning of it. The beginning of it, so that it can bring glory to Jesus. 
So now you have the messiness of speaking. Look at verse 12. Peter saw, and and the the New Living Translation says his opportunity. It's not like he was going, oh, here's my opportunity. That's not at all the Greek here. He, He saw the moment. He saw that what God had just done and recognized that now here is an opportunity, a window that he has the attention of people that wouldn't normally give him their attention. So Peter saw the opportunity and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, what's so surprising about this? I love Peter's like, like, like Peter's just been going around seeing God move like this all the time. What's so surprising about this? Why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness? For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. And again, he could have stopped, but he keeps going. And before I read the rest of this, I've got to remind you, this is the same city where literally less than maybe two or three months ago, Jesus was arrested and, and sentenced to die and executed in the same exact city And look at what he's about to say here. This is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Like, like he didn't, listen, he could have just said, hey, God did this. But he goes to the next level when he says, God did this through his servant, Jesus. And can I tell you, as soon as you, you know, you can be safe. If you talk about God, for the most part, people are going to, they're going to nod your heads because they're just thinking of whatever God they've invented. Whatever God they go along with. But as soon as you start talking about Jesus, have you ever noticed like the tone of a room begins to change? Like, People start twitching. <laughs> they get uncomfortable. They start, you know, trying to change the subject. This is the messiness of speaking, and the speaking is meant to give attention to Jesus Christ. Healings, working of miracles, other spiritual gifts, they're meant for a purpose, for the glory of God, for the advancement of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Well, You'd think that they would all hoist them on their shoulders and throw a parade for them, but they don't. And the religious leaders catch wind of what's going on. The same exact religious leaders that have hunted down Jesus. It says, verse 1 of chapter 4, While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. And these leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through who? That through Jesus... There is a resurrection of the dead, and they arrested them, these leaders of the people. They arrested Peter and John, and since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men, at this point they can't even count the women and children. They're just counting the men. The number of men who believed now totaled about how many? That's revival. That's revival. Now, some of you are going, like, well, what happened to Peter and John? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to read it for yourself later on. <laughs> Find out what happened. I will tell you this. 2,000 years later, we're sitting in an air-conditioned room reading about Peter and John. Because they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. 
And now they embrace the messiness of sight, seeing what maybe they didn't want to see. They embrace the messiness of faith. They embrace the messiness of the power of the Holy Spirit. They, they, they saw the opportunity to speak the truth of Jesus Christ, the gospel of, tr- of Jesus, and God gave them strength. Think of how, how hard this was in this moment. What's going to happen? Are they going to die? Like, what's going to go down? And yet they speak the truth, and God does powerful things. Can I tell you, you and I have the same Holy Spirit. I, I'd say it this way. You've been given a key. You, you, you've been given a key, and, and what does a key do? A key, a key unlocks doors. A key gives you access to places that you didn't have access to before. A key is, in your car, the key is what causes the ignition, right, of the engine. What causes the ability to move forward. You've been given a key. Every follower of Jesus in this room, you've been given a key. And my question is, like, are you relying on the Holy Spirit? Sometimes you know what we do with keys? We, we put them, I, I, maybe you don't do this. I'll, I'll put a key on my dresser and it lays there on my dresser, and a couple months later, I just, I'm cleaning off my dresser, I'm like, I don't even know what this key is for. I literally have, I kid you not, probably a dozen keys in a drawer that I don't even know what these keys are for. Every once in a while, I'll get super motivated. I go around my house, and I'm just trying to stick all these in here. I don't know which one of these is which. And... Now, the Holy Spirit isn't meant to be kept in your pocket. You've been given access to You've been given access to sight and faith and power and speaking and strength. Every person in this room, you've been given access to that. There's no less than. There's no, in the kingdom of God, there's no JV. You know that, right? There's no bench. Like God wants you, he wants you in the game. He wants you practicing this. He wants to use you in ways that you can't imagine. That's why in the Bible, he's constantly choosing the ones that when you read the scripture, you go, oh, God's not going to choose. Oh, yes, he did. He chose that one. I would not have chosen that one. (laughs) Right? He keeps doing it because he's trying to tell us, like, I don't care what your history is. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what was done to you. I don't care what you did last week. I've got a plan for you. I've got a purpose for you. Can I ask you, and I forgot to acknowledge our, our friends watching online. We love you guys. I, you know, after baptisms, I was all proclaimed and all that stuff. Um, we're glad you're watching, but I, don't, I can't see you guys, and you guys can, can discuss this on your, if you're watching on social media on, on the page there. But I want to ask in this room, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a full-time follower of Jesus? Are you just a Sunday morning follower of Jesus? Like, are, are, you, are you all in? Have you fully surrendered your life to Christ? If you haven't, I want to give an opportunity. We're going to do something else in just a moment, but I don't want to go on to the next thing without addressing this. If, you're, if today you realize, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Jesus is not seated in the throne of my life, and I want him to be first and central. I want to be a, I've been a part-time follower. I want to be a full-time follower of Jesus. I'm asking him to forgive me. I'm asking him to be the master and leader of my life. If that's you, I want you right where you are. Just stand right now. Just stand to your feet right now. If you say, Ken, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. Anybody at all? Anybody? You say, weren't you supposed to have people close their eyes? No. Not today. Anybody? Hopefully that means we're all followers of Jesus. Give me a nod of the head, hopefully. Are, are you a follower of Jesus? Okay. We're going to do something. We're going to turn this into a laboratory for a moment. And here's my contention. My, my argument, my hypothesis is this. If we can't do this in a church, you'll never do this in middle school. You'll never do this in a... F- 
working. You'll never do this with your group of friends that you play bridge with or whatever people who are retired play now. Euchre. That's what I would play if I was retired. If you, if you can't do this in church, you're not going to do this outside of church. It's my, it, this is the argument that I'm making. So we're going we're gonna to make this a laboratory. This is a safe place to do this. So I want to first of all ask, if you're sitting in this room, this isn't for everybody, okay? So I don't want you to feel like, oh, if I'm a good Christian, I'm going to respond to this. I literally, if you're sitting here and you're going, man, God has given me faith to believe that he can heal people through me. I'm not the healer, but I believe that God, that if I laid hands on people and I prayed for them, that God can heal people through me. If that's you, I want, and not everyone's going to be able to respond because we don't have space, but if that's you, I want you to come on both sides and just come all the way up to the front. Anybody? I'm not going to do that. That's so weird. If we can't do it here, you're not going to do this somewhere else. Like, God has put faith inside of me to believe that he can heal someone just through my humble prayer. Why don't you stand just, yeah, face the people, just back right up against the platform. Right up against the platform. We want to give people plenty of space. As they're coming, I want to read to you a scripture that was written like years after these events in the book of Acts. James writes this. James is a half-brother of Jesus. We'll put this up on the screen. If you're still seated, I want you to look up at this. James says, this is crazy. James says, is any one of you sick? And then he says, too bad. <laughs> no. He says, go to a doctor, right? I, you should, we love doctors. But he says this. No, he says, he should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord, who's going to raise him up? The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. You say, Ken, why did you read all that? I don't want you to walk out of here going, that church is whacked. Maybe it's weird. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe they don't do this in a church you've come from. But what we're just trying to do is follow this. We're, we're just trying our best. We might mess things up along the way. We're just trying to follow this. So if you're sick and you need prayer in your own physical body, maybe someone you love, I mean, this whole sermon, you've hardly been able to listen to sermon because this person that you love is so heavy on your heart and what they're going through and maybe their illness, maybe their cancer, maybe their COVID, whatever it would be. And you're just like, man, God needs, if you need healing, maybe you need healing from depression. Do you know God's bigger than depression? so sick of depression. It's like a weight on the people that I love so dearly in my life. You know, God can touch that. So if you need prayer, we're going to invite you just to come up and, and we're going we're to do just what we read. We don't have to pray really long theological prayers. I've read through the Gospels and the, the book of Acts just recently to look at the prayers. They're always super simple. You don't have to beg. Like, you don't have to like, well, if I pray the right prayer, maybe I could talk God into healing these people because he's in such a bad mood today. No, this is his will, right? Okay, so I've rambled long enough. If you need prayer, would you come up to one of these people? Guys, you can come to a guy. Ladies, you can come to a lady. Seriously, come on, come on up. If you need healing, just come on up. What if? Some of you are going, well, I've had, I've had people pray for me before. Nothing happened. What if it's, today's the day something's going to happen? Right? And if you're still seated and this isn't for you, would you do me this favor and just pray? Like, you can bow your heads right now. You can just pray right now. Thank you, Jesus. This is what we're going to do for probably the next three to five minutes. So if there's still time for you to come on up. We welcome you to come on up. We want to pray for you.
Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, we speak healing. God, would you just fill this place? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are here. You are with us. Holy Spirit, empower us today. Empower us today. Lord, for your will, for your purposes. We speak healing over your people. We speak healing in the name of Jesus. God, we pray this morning that the preaching of your word would be accompanied with signs and wonders. In Jesus' name, for your glory, for your honor, Jesus. Heal your people. We speak to depression in Jesus' name that would be lifted. It would be gone in the name of Jesus. Oh, God, thank you for your healing power. If you're watching online, you can even in the comment section just say, hey, would you pray for me? Maybe, maybe several people could even get in a message in the Messenger app with you and just pray for you individually. If you need prayer, just let, let the people online know that you need prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You are the God who heals us. It's by your torn flesh that we are healed. We bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits who forgives all our iniquity, who heals all our diseases. You are the God who heals us. We look to you. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Minister to your people, O oh God. Minister to your people, O oh God. Oh God. Reveal yourself to your people, O oh God. Reveal your love. Reveal your compassion. Reveal your forgiveness. Reveal your mercy. Oh God, show yourself strong, O oh God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. The name above all names. Worthy, worthy, worthy. Jesus, you are the bread of life. You fill the hunger in our soul. <laughs> Thank you. You satisfy us with your life. You are the light of the world. You give us direction and protection. You are the gate. You are the door. We have access to the Father through you. You are the good shepherd. You care for your sheep. When we're with you, we want for nothing. We lack nothing. Thank you. May we have ears to hear. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. God, give us ears to hear you. Thank you, O oh God. Give us eyes to see what's going on around us. Give us faith to believe. God, in the messiness of the lives around us, God, give us faith to believe. And God, we pray for your Spirit's power. In the name of Jesus, give us words to say, God. Even this week, we would have conversations where we would, we would just open our mouths and we would have your words, your wisdom, your revelation knowledge, oh God. And give us strength in the midst of opposition in the midst of danger, even threats or cynicism or laughter, God, that we would, we would have your strength. We would have your authority, oh God. That in all these things, the name of Jesus would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Hey, thank you for letting us try this. I know for some of you, maybe your weird meter was tripped just a little bit. That's, that's all right. We're, we're, again, we're just trying to be people of the book. We're just trying to be people of God's word. And uh, we're going to keep trying this stuff out, right? Amen. Right? We're going to be persistent. Even when we pray and nothing happens, we're not stepping back. We're going to step what? We're going to step forward. So let me ask, is, is, did anybody sense God touch them as you were being prayed for? Kathy? Yeah? Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Keep, keep at it. Keep praying. Keep believing.